0: hello and welcome to first importance the preaching and teaching ministries of first baptist church west memphis arkansas our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come good morning amen it's a it's a good morning it's good to be here and i'm thankful um to be in worship with you all today i'm humbled anytime i can be in god's house and be among god's people and um it's just good to be in this place I want to pray uh, for us Um, I'm just kind of trained that way I have no doubt that your pastor's prayers kind of went through but I had to pray my own Uh, (laughs) but I'm really glad to be here I'm giving you a chance just kind of smoke me over as I kind of smoke you over I know I'm not what you used. I don't I don't have the same cool hair your pastor has uh, I'm a a little wider fella than him and got a little better tan uh but uh it's good to be here it ought to be easy preaching in west memphis because i did hear uh through the grapevine that some some hogs uh hurt some longhorns uh yesterday and so you ought to be easy to preach to i'm glad to be here my son micah or been said he's here with me on today and uh, my wife and i my wife tiffany we've been married for 18 years we have five children uh, four boys and a girl, and uh, they're at our home church in South Haven, Mississippi this morning uh, because some of my kids are older and they uh, were tired of being away from their youth group. And uh, so I just kindly told them last night, I'm just grateful that I have one child in my whole house that loves his daddy and, uh, and, and wants to go uh, to church with his father. And uh, I'm praying for the rest of them and ask you to pray for them too. Uh, but also glad to have my, uh, my brother, He's my play brother uh, in this life, but my blood brother in Jesus, brother Jose, came today. Um, I used to pastor in a town that some of you Arkansas fans may not be very fond of, but I pastored for almost 18 years in Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, yeah, I uh, had a chance to pastor and uh, work with several of those guys, a quarterback in, a, in the NFL, a guy named Dak Prescott. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him about Jesus uh, when his mother died very morning his mom died he showed up at our church and it was sweet to minister to him and to hear him that day ask christ into his heart and uh so i'm i'm fond of another sec school i'll root for you when we're not playing each other uh so that i stay on good terms with you but uh enough about that i do have something really really serious that i want to get into today that i want to talk to you about if you want to get your bible ready you can turn to second chronicles chapter 7 and I'll be reading uh, from verse 12 down to verse 18. Uh, this whole sermon, though, will focus in on one verse, and it's a verse you've probably heard many times. It's verse 14 is where we'll actually be focused in. But 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and we'll start reading at 12 down through 18 to give us some context, but our focus is going to be in verse 14. As you turn there uh, to set this text up and help us see what's there, The text that we're looking at is actually drawn from one of the highest times in Jewish history. These events unfold against the backdrop of economic prosperity, imperial security, and religious fervency. The Temple of Solomon has been completed, and the dream of his father David has now been realized, a permanent house for the Ark of the Covenant. This instrument that symbolized the presence of God has now been completed. The furnishing had been brought in and the ark has been, all things have been arranged. The ark is set in place and the glory of God has filled this place before we get to our text. Solomon has offered offerings and he has, um, the people have brought different offerings. And I try to help people understand in today's uh, language and terms what it would look like if we did something like this today every time you think about solomon offering a bull think about somebody donating money to the church that would pay for a brand new bulldozer and so for every bull that's sacrificed that's about the price of it for every sheep or every goat think about somebody donating enough to buy a zero turn lawnmower And it says they sacrifice hundreds and thousands of these. It's a high time. Solomon is praying. He's prayed to God before these people. He's spoken words in chapter 6 of adoration for God. He's interceded for these people. He's prayed for God to make this place a place of his own. It's a high time, but I'm telling you how easy it is to go from a high time spiritually to a very low time. that kind of sets up where we read. Solomon is prayed when verse 12 of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 from the New King James, it says this. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually as for you if you walk before me as your father david walked and do according to all that i have commanded you and if you keep my statutes and my judgments then i will establish the throne of your kingdom as i covenanted with david your father saying you shall not fail to have a man as ruler in israel but back in verse 14 listen to what he said if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, why would we go into a passage like that today? Because I really believe that, and if I had to kind of summarize what I believe the Lord's doing in, the, in that verse and in this section, I think it fits where we are as churches, as a nation. I really believe that we have allowed ourselves to get off track. We're missing it. We're missing what really matters. We're missing the things of eternal value. And just like a locomotive off the rails, when it's off the rails, all the power that it has is pointless because it's designed to operate on a set of tracks. And it doesn't matter how much electricity you pump in that engine or how much coal you throw in that engine, it's not moving until it gets on track. And I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but in many of our churches, and prayerfully not here, but in many, we're completely off track. And I believe what God gives us in verse 14, crystallized inside this context, is something to help us all get back on track. We talk about being renewed spiritually or being revived. How does it happen? Well, we can't make God move. That's where you say, amen. We can't. We can't make God do anything, but we can set an atmosphere that is welcoming to a move of God. And what God does in verse 14 is actually takes what Solomon prayed in chapter 6 and breaks it down. Because Solomon's going to pray for God to receive this place as a place unto himself and he's going to bring up things like um, Lord if, if we have famine in the land Would you look to this place and answer if we have all this other stuff going on? Would you do it and here's what God does because see, God's not bound by time like Solomon? And God's looking beyond the day that they've offered all these sacrifices. See, God sees the days when Rehoboam's going to take the throne. He's going to split the kingdom and Jeroboam's going to take apart. And he's going to watch these two divided kingdoms begin to break down. He's going to see it. God sees that his people are going to commit apostasy. And they're going to turn away from him. And I'm telling you, I believe as a nation and I believe in many of our churches, we have done just that. I believe across our convention if we're not careful everybody's talking about the Bible and everybody's saying scripture is sufficient but we've turned our back on the God of the Bible so how do we get back on track if we've done that because what I will not do is stand here and say we have an issue if I don't present to you a solution and so in this text today we're going to traverse two things I'm a bad Baptist only got two major points but if it helps you I've got a bunch of sub points (laughs) but in verse 14 he brings up a couple of things first of all if we're going to ever get back on track if we're going to set the stage for that revival then there are we have to engage in some practices that will lead to revival and then we have to be mindful of the promises that accompany revival that's actually what happens in verse 14 that's what you have so let's unpack this snippet of text In verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, and you can break the text right there. On our side, it starts with if. On God's side, it starts with then. I want to tell you something. The full weight of where we go and how effective we are spiritually is not resting on what God would do, but on what we would do trusting him let me put it another way God's waiting on us we're not waiting on him and I've learned in my life things I'm serious about I get in a hurry about and I want to do them but quite often in our spiritual lives there's always tomorrow there's later and God said well if my people the, the ones called by my name And I understand contextually, if we want to get theological, this is technically Israel. But I believe every text has a timeless truth encapsulated in it that goes across all time. And if you're a believer, you're one of God's people. And he's saying if you and and if I would do these things, here's the first practice that leads to revival. Put yourself in your proper place. Now, I apologize. I prayed about something like fun to preach and he wouldn't give it to me, but he gave me this. The first word he says about his people, he says, humble themselves. Something you'll notice about the idea of being humbled in the Bible is that it's something you always want to do because you never want God to do it. I'll give you time to catch up with me. When you read about being humbled in the Bible, it's not something you want God to do, so you want to do it. He says, humble themselves. I won't talk about you, but I can talk about me. You won't get offended if I talk about me, but maybe if I talk about me, you'll see a little bit of you and a little bit of me. Do you know the greatest enemy to my spiritual growth and my spiritual development? My own stinking pride. Oh, I walk with my shoulders back. It was a little strut when I walk. I'm a big dude. I was blessed with a lot of athletic talent when I was in high school. And it made my head just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to the point that I thought at one point in my life I didn't need anybody. And I tell you what, boy, life can break you. There was a little lady in my life, my grandmother, my dad's mom, Miss Florine Brand. We called her Must. She's about that tall. The godliest woman I ever met in my whole life. The Lord saved me before she died, but he had to grow me through her death. She's the first person I saw pray. I'd watch her bend down on the side of her bed with two bad knees, but she would not pray standing up. There were times she'd pray so long we'd walk by her room and crack her door open and look in to make sure she hadn't died on her knees. I got a call. I was all the way in South Mississippi. We lived in North Mississippi. Four hours from home, my grandmother had gotten sick and she was in the hospital. And I was told, turn around and get back now because it doesn't look real good. We arrived in Tupelo, five minutes after they pronounced my grandmother dead and i didn't get to tell her bye and you talk about arrogant and angry and mad with god i'm gonna tell you how it all got swept away when i walked in that room where they had her covered up and i was able to roll her sheet back my grandmama died with a smile on her face and i said well If she couldn't be mad about it, I don't guess I can be either. But I'm telling you, buddy, life will give you lessons that if you allow it, it will humble you. But we are so proud. We have strategies and we have techniques and we have programs and we have methods and there's nothing wrong with all that in its proper place. But none of that will substitute for God's power. Now I'll give you one of my Mississippi quotes that I give folk quite often. One reason the church is suffering is because we're trying to do God-sized stuff off man-sized power. He says the first key to you setting the stage for revival, humble yourself. And then he says, pray. So put yourself in your proper place. But then the next one, put prayer in a preeminent place. Pride is an enemy to prayer. You want to know why your prayer life suffers? Same reason mine does, because I'm proud. I won't ask God for stuff I think I can get for myself. So he says, humble yourself. Then he says, pray. And the idea of pray, in the simplest definition I can give, no matter how much Hebrew I can exhaust or how much Greek I can exegete, here's the idea of prayer. Talking to God. Pray. Pray. I got called to a meeting in Nashville, one of the best meetings I've been in, Um, maybe the only meeting I've been in since I was elected first vice president, but that's for another discussion. But I got called into that meeting and I went, there were 50 leaders from across the country in that meeting and we were having a two day powwow about how we can mobilize churches in the SBC to rally back together for the simple discipline of praying. We went through day one great insights great feedback wonderful day day two comes around another great day and there's a gentleman who's been sitting in the meeting all throughout these sessions who hasn't said a word he's an asian brother and he got up because the floor was open for anybody who wanted to talk and that can be a dangerous thing in a baptist meeting and this guy gets up and he comes to the front and he's been so quiet throughout the whole meeting and he stepped up and started talking about when he pastored A South Korean Baptist Church and how they opened every morning at 530 for prayer seven days a week as long as he was the pastor and he said in my culture if your church doesn't open for morning prayer you're not a church and I felt a knife run through the whole crowd and that guy who had been so quiet kept talking and this is what he said not wanting to get offended I told you that that pride stuff it doesn't go away sitting in this meeting, and this is what he said. He said, in the American church, you guys have a real problem. He said, you take all kind of prayer requests. You just don't pray. And you're talking about wanting to bristle up, all six foot two, north of 300 pounds. I mean, wanting to just get angry. And God said, no, no, you're upset because he's right we'll murmur a few words, but then we're on down the road. He said, my people need to humble themselves and pray. Show that dependency on God. We don't always have the answer. We don't know. That's why we need him. He said, pray, put prayer in a preeminent position. Why does the apostle say, I wish the folk would pray always lifting up holy hands because we need God's direction every moment of our life. And we ought to be desperate and hungry for him. I mean, desperate. You know the way when you haven't eaten and you feel the hunger pain and you must get something to eat, that kind of desperate to be in God's presence. As the deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul longeth for thee, O oh God. That kind of desperate. He says, humble themselves. Pray. So put ourselves in our proper place, put prayer in a preeminent place and Then he says this other practice that leads to revival is pursue him as a passionate practice. The other day, I don't have that Bible with me. I preach from this particular New King James Bible. But right now I'm reading through the Bible. I'm reading through an NASB and I take notes in my margin. And the other day I was in Isaiah and I saw the full context of the quote that Jesus makes in the New Testament. When he said these people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me there's another verse or another part of the verse he didn't quote verbatim but when you read it to me it was just crushing the nsb kind of quotes it this way it it says and i'm paraphrasing they do what they do from rote memory i don't know if you recall right offhand what rote memory is rote memory is the device we use to memorize timetables. tables two times two is four and two times three is six and we can keep going but here's the thing the things you learn by rote memory are not necessarily things that you employ because they impact your life in any significant way And what God says there about these people honoring him with their lips, but their heart being far from him and them doing what they do by road memory is that their heart isn't in it. The next thing he says in verse 14, humble themselves, pray and seek my face. Seeking and looking are different. I've got five children. And they'll go look for stuff that they can't ever find you know I I put my glasses down well go check your room and they do and they can never find the glasses because they're not seeking because I walk in the same room on top of the dresser sitting by itself with nothing around is a pair of glasses how did you not see the glasses you weren't really looking the idea of seek implies effort and i don't know any other way to put this but this and and this is for me it's not for you but i talk about all this great spiritual maturity i want and this development i want to have this great walk with god but that comes at a price I've got some dear friends who are what I would dare call physical specimens. They look like they were built in a lab, like for real. I mean, I've got friends who are six foot six and six foot seven who have like washboard abs. I've only seen them on TV, but they got them. But you don't get that kind of physique. You don't get that kind of body without some sort of discipline. Let's move into the spiritual. Do you you meet people when you are around them and you see how they walk with God and you're like, boy, I want that kind of walk with God? Let me tell you something. That kind of walk with God is not born on the stage. It's born behind the curtain. It's laboring before the Lord. It's seeking his face. It's a passionate pursuit. It's something they long for. I rode through coming to church this morning, and as I came down some of the major roads in West Memphis, one of the things I love about traveling is you get to kind of see what is, but you also can kind of think about what was. And I look at all these storefronts as you come through West Memphis. Great place, but I wonder at its height or in days past, what did West Memphis look like? with all this property that's been developed and all these things that are here. And now you can see where neighborhoods change and things transition. And I really wonder when people, if Christ shall tarry from the next generation, look back at us and look back at what we left behind, what markers will they see? What were we really excited about? What really got us going? What was our passion? I can help you identify your passion now. You don't have to wait for somebody else to tell you what it was. You want to know what your passion is? It's what you talk about. It's what stays on your mind. It's what you want to be doing. It's where you want to be going. And if you tell me what that is now, I will tell you what your passion is. And if Christ is not someone that you're talking about, wanting to be with, wanting to get to, I'm going to submit something to you. And this may hurt a little bit those things aren't true he's not your passion I didn't say you don't belong to him I said he's not your passion he said, seek my face the last one hurts so th- those steps those practices put yourself in your proper place put prayer in a preeminent place pursue him as a passionate practice And this last one part with our perverted practices He says, turn from their wicked ways. Now, the Lord says this to Solomon on the night or a night in context of them having prayed, having celebrated, having feasted to the glory of God. But God knows us and you and I know each other. And I'm going to tell you something on the other side of the high time spiritually. If I'm not careful, there comes a great crash. My spiritual life, if you, had to, if you had to write it out or, or, or picture it, it's kind of like this. It's a series of highs and lows. And where we're trying to get to is where Paul was when Paul could say stuff like this. I have learned how to be abased and I've learned how to abound. How to have it all and suffer lack. And in all of it, have a great hunger for Christ. But there's some things in my life I need to part with. And I'm going to dare speculate there might be some stuff in your life you need to part with. Because, see, if you're going to seek his face, you can't go in his direction holding on to things that are not of him. It's hard to do that. I tell you what, if you hold on to your pew, but you want to walk through the back door of the church to do that, at some point, I don't care how long your arms are, you got to let that pew go. He says turn from their wicked ways now he didn't call them wicked people but I'm gonna tell you something every one of us have some wicked ways okay I went too far I I have some wicked ways driving on interstate 240 to go to work in Memphis sometimes brings out the fact that I have wicked ways Because I just can't believe people can get a license and drive the way some people drive on 240 in Memphis. And if I'm not careful, I may not say anything from my mouth, but I have a thought in my heart. And I'm like, Lord, that does not honor you at all. Because down in me, that part, you know, he already cut out of you. That part's in me. And I have to be careful about having some wicked ways. 18 years in ministry. But I've been called some stuff And all of it wasn't anything on my birth certificate I've been called stuff in church I wasn't called on a football field And if I'm not careful That can can make me feel some kind of way And pull some stuff out of me I have to pray God help me with that Get that out of me It shows me I can have some wicked ways Think about Peter when he told Jesus Man I'll go with you to death and to prison I'll go all the way Think about how he felt when he stood there in that rooster crow the third time. You know what got exposed? Peter still had some work to be done. There was something God needed to do with him. And I think there's some stuff God need to do with all of us. I, I know with me because I live with me and here's what I tell folks about me. I'm the worst person I know. Let me qualify that you and I can do the same thing. But here's why I think I'm worse. Because I got to speculate about why you did it, but I'll know why I did it. Just a thought. So, those practices. now, Now, to the good stuff. The practices that would lead us to revival. But now, what are those promises that accompany revival? 14, he said, If you do this, go in the verse to the point where it says, Then, then I, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land three promises made by the lord that if you'll do these things on the front if you'll seek me for revival if you will engage in these practices i will give you these promises here's the first one you'll be heard by the master if you really want it god said i'll make sure you get it because that honors him Talking to a friend of mine the other day Quoted this verse The Lord said you will find me When you seek me With all of your heart You've been saved How long now when you say I don't really know What my purpose is how hard are you seeking him I don't know What God wants me to do in this season of my life How hard are you seeking him He said you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart You know when you lose your keys And it's five minutes before time to go to work You look for those keys differently on Monday morning than you would on Saturday when you have nowhere to be. Because now I really need these. I don't need another point on my job. I don't need another write-up. I don't need anybody looking funny when I walk in the door today. He says, I will hear from heaven. There may not be a more beautiful phrase in the whole Bible than what I just read to you. He didn't say, I'll get you to a dispatcher. He didn't say, I have an angel check on you. He said, I will hear from heaven. That's personal. God said, you're mine. I'll hear you. You really want to talk to me? I will hear you. And I believe this with all my heart. God wants to hear from us more than we want to pray. Every parent in this room whose children have moved away and they've gotten busy with life, They don't call as much as they once did. Isn't it sweet when that phone rings now? Oh, when that phone rings now, see, it was taken for granted when we all lived in the same house. I told my wife, I said, our kids are from 14 down to 3. I said, I can see how people fall into depression when their kids leave. I said, because we can't ever stop right now. And when they're gone, we're not going to have anything to do. I said, man, it's always a ball game. It's church. It's another game. And it's this. And it's family Bible study. And it's this thing and that thing. And not that you mind it, but man, you don't have five minutes for you. And then it just stops. Quite often, we get so busy with life, we don't call home. And I believe the Father's saying, Boy, I sure would like to hear from you. I'd love to talk to you. And if you'll talk, guess what? I'll hear you. And then look at what he says I'll hear from heaven will forgive their sin not just being heard by the master but being healed from your misery tell you why our country is in such shape this is deep you don't want to hear this because at best we want to talk about symptoms but we never want to get to the source I can tell you in a sentence what's wrong with our country and what's wrong with our world and it has nothing to do with skin color or economics, amen. It has nothing to do with who has something, who doesn't have something. What's wrong with our country is what's wrong with the world. And it's been wrong since Genesis chapter 3. Folks are sinful and rebellious and God must judge sin. And we're trying to deal with all these symptoms, but we're not getting to the source. And God said, if you will practice the things that lead revival, I will heal you of your misery because only God can deal with sin not black white issues it's not red brown issues it's not blue and red issues it's a heart issue and until people are changed the world is not going to get any better we're trying to usher in something that's never going to happen because people are rebellious we're not going to build a utopia in west memphis or in memphis or anywhere else because the hearts of men are wicked and turned from god and only god can change hearts and while i'm there We can do all we want to talking about how we overhaul systems. Jesus never came to fix systems. Jesus came to save souls. And here's why. Because God is a mission. He knows everything. And if you fix a system and leave people broken, broken people in a fixed system will break the system again. But if you can fix the people, the people will work to make the system as good as it can be until we go to heaven. I almost feel like preaching he said the promises are you'll be heard by the master you'll be healed of your misery what a beautiful thing to be forgiven the weight gets picked up it gets taken off because christ has paid it all what a joy to be forgiven when i know how wretched and wicked and low down i've been but the lord paid for that at calvary and he said i'll clear that debt off your account that's forgiven healed from our misery and the last one (laughs) he said if my people will do this then i will hear from heaven forgive their sin and i will heal their land i want you to see something god said first i have to heal the man the people and if they'll let me heal them once i've healed the man then i'll heal the land but here's where we're backwards we want God to fix America. But first, God's got to fix Americans. Oh, that's where if you coming to church. Hear what I just said. We, we want God to fix America, but you can't fix America until you fix Americans. You got to do something with all the people before you can fix the group. Now he says, if you'll if you talk to me out here, I'll forgive you of your sin and I'll heal the land. I don't think God's in the business of just wanting to bless economies for the sake of blessing economies. Why would God give us more money to do more sin with? We've been using this kind of parent-child dynamic the whole sermon. Okay, if your child can't be faithful with a $5 allowance, you want to start paying them $50 to do that? Okay, you're loading the dishwasher and all dishes are dirty for 5 bucks. We can't get a raise working like that. Because I'm actually incentivizing your lack of effort in your rebellion that's for a different sermon he said I'll heal their land so to bring all this to a head what have we been talking about we've been talking about the idea of getting back on track how do we get back to where we need to be we do it by seeking God with all of our heart you're not gonna find it in some little magic book and there's no shortcut to it it's hunger it's thirst it's doing it i had a professor in seminary named steve wilks dr wilks told me something about quiet time he said you guys see me and think my spiritual life is way up here don't you you had to know steve wilks to appreciate this because he had big sunglasses on he'd come in and He'd have a guitar and you might sing a spiritual song or you might sing something off the radio in his class and just have he felt that day. But he said, there are days I get up in the morning and I read the Bible and my quiet time is as dry as dust. He said, you know why I read my Bible? Because I'm supposed to. He said, the days where it's rich outweigh the days when it's dry. Because I'm not doing it for how I feel. I'm doing it to build my faith. And so what do we do? We engage in those practices that lead to revival. And we claim those promises that accompany revival. So what am I going to encourage you to do today as I leave this sermon? Seek God like you never have before. Hunger for him, thirst for him. Because Jesus, the Christ who died at Calvary, said this in the Sermon on the Mount blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled god will always do what he said but we have to choose or we going to do what he said and so today i want to encourage you if you're here and you know christ man let's live all the way out i just say it like i said in mississippi take the brakes off tear the brakes off your life and just hit the gas and go Live all out for him because you're gonna look up one day and it's all gonna be over. And when David says you can't praise God from the ground, here's the idea: you don't have any life once this life is gone to give to him in service. You get this shot on the earth to give him everything you've got. Heaven's about rejoicing, it's not about the labor then. And so if you're here and you know him, let's go. If you're here and you don't know Christ, You need to give your life to him because you don't have another hope there's not another way there's not another option it's Jesus Christ alone he said I'm the way the truth the life in John 14 6 that's why I believe every word in the Bible is inspired he didn't say a way a truth a life if we had to be technical a is an indefinite article meaning it could be one among many he said nope I'm the. that's a definite article I'm it in in bad grammar it ain't nothing else that's it it's him give your life to the christ who gave his life for you and what a journey is going to be i want to pray for us and as i pray for us and in this message you respond as the lord shall lead you you respond as the lord shall lead you Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.